Well, this morning we're continuing through the Gospel of Mark and in Mark chapter 5. And let's pray together. Lord, we ask now in Jesus' name, by your gracious, gracious hand, you would give us ears to hear all that your spirit is saying to the church today, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Well, Mark chapter 5, looking at the real Jesus, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. So they made it. Remember last week, Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. They almost sunk, and, and Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves. Now, I, I didn't point out, but that word, he rebuked the winds and the waves, or he said, peace, be still. Depends on the translation. Is the exact same word that was used when he shut the demons up and cast demons out. And so many think that this was a demonic attack against Jesus and the disciples to sink them, literally, so they wouldn't get to the other side. I personally believe that's true because when we finally get to the other side, what was so important about getting to the other side well, they come to this area called the Gadarenes, sort of depends on the gospel. It can also be called the Girgashenes. It can all be, also be called the Gerasenes. Um, for sure we know this. It was located in the area of the Decapolis, which is simply means 10 cities, a group of 10 cities. And most believe it was uh, right up on the beach area of a place called Gadara. And um, the reason being is there's only one steep place, uh, we're gonna see that in the story, on the Sea of Galilee, and it's right in that area. And uh, when we go there uh, to Israel, it's, it's always a powerful moment. It just, you, it just pull over the bus and you look. Um, there's no city or shops or anything there. But uh, it's, it is an interesting place, even to this day. Well, in verse 2, So when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. Now, some of you who are students of the word are going to say, well, this same story in the Gospel of Matthew actually has two demons mentioned. Well, where there is always two demons, there's also one demon, right? If there's two demon-possessed men, there's also one. I, I got a feeling there was a lot of demonic activity. When Jesus comes back to this area, a lot of demons are being cast out. This was a unique case, and probably when this guy came running out of the tomb, there was probably another guy that had a few demons in him that was just sort of a follower, a tag-along uh, with these with this other demon-possessed guy, but it's not, he's not essential to the story. Uh, and there might have been 10 demon-possessed people in that area. We know later on there are many that Jesus cast out the demons from. But uh, there's one guy that was the focus of the story. What do we learn about this guy? He was dwelling among the tombs. 
The Gospel of Luke specifies that he couldn't live in a house. He was just so tormented that any kind of orderly environment wasn't possible for him. But of course, the demons knew, Numbers 19.11, that when you go to the tombs, you become ceremonially unclean. So he was being kept in a spiritual sense for the Jews in an unclean state. He roamed around the countryside, number two, naked. The Gospel of Luke tells us that he had no clothes. And also we learn that he was a violent man. Matthew 8.28 says he was exceedingly fierce so that nobody could pass by. And when we go on that road today in that area, it's, there's only one road. And it's the ancient road that the road has been paved over to. There is no other way in. And so everybody that's coming into Israel from that eastern side uh, probably would have taken a giant detour all the way out around the lake, many, many more miles, not to have gone by there. He was disrupting things severely. The fourth thing we learn is no one could bind him. This is radical that even the best metals they had of that day, uh, the best chains they had of that day was useless as the demons would give this man supernatural strength to break them and hit his sanity. Interesting the word they could not tame him. That is the word used for animals only. So they were putting him in chains they were incarcerating, they were trying to tame him and it couldn't be done. The society of that day had failed. The fifth thing we learn is that night and day he was in torment. It tells us here he was always night and day crying out. I think of those kids who lived in that area trying to put your kids to sleep at night and you hear this inhuman sound. And they'd have to try to tell him, don't, don't worry, be calm. But I heard that guy beat people up. I hear he's got chains on his arms and, and rattling them around. I, I, I just think the whole community was beyond tormented. I just think there was always a black cloud of, of sort of a sense of, of despair, not just on this man, but paralyzing the whole community he was self-destructing. He was cutting himself with stones. And he, was, he had lost all under the power of Satan. What did he lose? He lost his home. He lost the fellowship with his family and friends. He lost his decency as he ran around the tombs naked. He lost his self-control, lived like a wild animal, screaming, cutting himself, frightening the citizens. He lost his peace, and he lost his purpose for living. Satan should not be interesting for us believers. Demon activity should not be just a mythological thing that is intriguing. It shouldn't be intriguing. It's real. And it is horrible. It's destructive. 
Yes, I believe there probably are many people in psychological hospitals that could be demon-possessed and tormented, and that's why none of the cures that are available seem to have any effect. Yes, I believe probably many of the people that are homeless are demon-possessed people. They can't live in houses, and they're crying out and tormented, and, and uh, rather than cutting themselves, they're, they're doing drugs. Yes, I, I do believe that there's demonic activity, but Satan's no dummy. He wants us in the Western world not to think of the supernatural because his, his greatest way to keep us in darkness is to think we're intellectuals and we're above God. We're above spirituality. We're above religion. We're above the Bible. We're, we have science, so we don't need the crutch of God or spiritual thoughts. Anybody who needs to think spiritually, it's because they're mentally deficient they'd get a good education, they could ignore God like the real smart people do. At least this is what Hollywood wants you to believe on a regular basis. Every smart detective is an atheist. Every brilliant scientist is an atheist. Guys, there's a great little book that's called Men of God, Men of Science. And you will find that every major branch of science was discovered by Christians often, their inspiration was the Bible. Matthew Fontaine Morey, Pathfinder of the Sea, who was a sea captain in 1851, who was reading the Bible, and it said that the fish passed through the rivers, as the actual Hebrew word, rivers in the sea. Ecclesiastes 1 says the winds come back on their circuit from which they started. And he had been injured as a captain, so they put him up in charge of the hydraulic study of the world. And he said, guys, I need exact bearings, just specific. Within three months, or excuse me, in eight, within eight months, they were crossing most oceans, some up to three months quicker than they were before. You can go to the Naval Academy, and you'll see a plaque to Matthew Fontaine Morey, Pathfinder of the Sea, who found the secrets of the seas and the winds from Holy Scripture, and those scriptures are written there. Yeah, guys, we, we can go back, and, and, and you will discover it's anything but what Hollywood's telling you. These scientists were on their knees crying out to God, asking God to give them the strength to finish their their studies and, and their experiments, and they gave glory to God. And there's more than that one book written on this subject. But let me tell you, it, it, it just, it's hard for me when people are, you know, thinking it's fun to talk about palm reading or horoscopes or Dungeon and Dragons or Message from the Dead, or they, they find it interesting to watch whatever demonic, you know, things out there. I don't, I don't watch them, you know, The Exorcist or whatever. And, and of course, in all these movies, the Christian or the priest or whatever is challenged to the nth degree. And most of the time, the demon's winning, you know. And, and if they do win over the demon, it's like barely. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, they, they stop the demon for a little while, but until part two comes. 
and the demon's back and even more fierce. And it's going to take a more bigger cross this time, more holy oil, not from the current pope or from an old pope or whatever. I don't know. But it, it's not, I, I, I just, I'm grieved that people who understand the Bible would be entertained by those things. It wasn't entertaining here. They had come to the end of their human li limits. They tried everything they had. They, they used the biggest chains they could to incarcerate him. But it was like thread. He broke it off. They put him in isolation. They could not tame him. They ignored him, even though he cried out continually day and night. Well, in Mark chapter 5 now, verse 6 and 7, when he saw Jesus from afar, now, you guys in the south, that he's not at a fire, okay? This is a distance away. It's like, whoa, that demon was at a far. No, he was a long ways away. Um, when he was a long ways away, he ran and he worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Interesting. Let's take a look at this demon. He believed completely in Jesus. I know who you are. You're the all-powerful one. You're going to judge us one day with a permanent judgment. The other gospels say, don't torment us before the time. And he called him correctly, doctrinally correct, Jesus, the son of the most high God. He believed in eternal hell. In the Gospel of Luke, he says it more specifically. He says, don't cast us into the abyss. Although here it says, in Mark, don't cast us into a far country. You got to remember, they know. God, when he created the world, sometime right in that same time, he created hell. Matthew 25 says plainly, hell was created for the devil and his angels. But Jesus said on that day, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me a drink. I was in prison. I was sick. You didn't visit me. And then he, and then he says to those, uh, that's my right hand, on the left, he was saying that. And then on the right, <laughs> the other right, um, he was saying, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink and so forth. And they said, Lord, when did we do that for you? He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But to those on the left, he says, I'm casting you out into the outer darkness, to hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels, but you will be living in that location for eternity that I made for the devil and all these demons. In Matthew 12, we, we find that it is difficult for demons, fallen angels. I mean, Revelation 12 seems to indicate that one-third of the angels, when Satan rebelled, he had convinced he's a very persuasive person. 
One third of these angels who stood before God and saw Jesus and worshiped him, but he got them to agree with him and they all fell together and they're demons and, and they don't have a conduit to communicate and torment as much as they would like without something, uh, they're spiritual beings and they, they are limited on how they can communicate. In Matthew 12, verse 43 and 44, it says this, or 43 to 45, it says this, when an unclean spirit goes out of man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes and he finds it, notice, empty, swept, put in order, but empty. He then goes and takes with him seven other demons more wicked than himself. And they entered and dwelled there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall also be of this wicked generation. So Jesus gives us an insight into the spiritual realm that these demons are, are around and they're there, but they're not able to affect man in a way they can when they're actually possessing something, someone, even an animal. And uh, it's not easy for them. It's not like, hey, there's a person, let's demon possess them. No, they're wandering around. They're having a hard time finding somebody who qualifies that they can enter in. Pretty much what we find in the scripture is, is somebody invited the demon to possess them. Maybe unknowingly. You know. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Um, sorry there. Um, some, you know, are, are tricked by the demons. Like we're going to see later a woman who was a witch of some degree. And her daughter got demon-possessed. And so it sort of backfired on her. And uh, so we, we don't know a whole lot. And I hate all the books and speculations about it. This is all we know. It's not a lot. I, I don't think God wants us to focus on Satan and what he can or can't do and demons and what they can and can't do. But evidently, as these demons were having a hard time finding a place, this one demon was saying, come on in, come on in, come on in. And, and all of these demons, very possibly the demons that Jesus had been casting out in his ministry there as he had been going all around uh, the Galilee area, casting out demons. These demons are now having to go in uh, and find a new location, and they found this guy there in this area of Gesineret. But I, I do want to stop here and, 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 and have to make an important note. Let, let's think about this. This demon ran, and causing these demons ran, and they came from a long ways off, and they worshiped before him. Doctrinally, they were correct. They even understand God in his triunity. Of course, it's not a stretch for them because they used to live in heaven. Jesus, son of the most high God. They recognize he had total power, total authority. Whatever you say goes with us. There is nobody you got to check in with. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no competition going on here. 
We've lost. Whatever you say we have to do, there's, there's not going to be a, a, a difficulty here. You have complete power and authority over us. And they were shaking. Please, you can make our life miserable. You can, you can cast us out, and, and who knows when we'll find a place to dwell in another human. Don't do that to us. Now, you say, wow, that sounds like a believer. They worship. They proclaim Jesus as Lord. They say you have all power and authority. Well, I'd just like to ask you a very important question. Are these demons saved then? This is the very point that James brings up in James chapter 2, verse 18 to 20. James chapter 2, verse 18 to 20, it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You do well. Even demons believe this and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So people say, well, I believe Jesus is God, you know, forget that Allah stuff and forget those Hindus over there and the karma and all that. You know, I'm a good old-fashioned American Christian. I believe in Jesus. Well, that's what the demons know. <laughs> they believe that as well. No, 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 you don't understand. I get deeply moved by the Bible and by songs. My grandma would pray, I would weep. And after my grandma died, they would, we'd, every time I heard amazing grace, how sweet the sound, I would just cry and cry and, and tremble. Well, you're emotionally stirred by the things of Jesus. So were the demons. They weren't saved. Why? Because, guys, listen. True saving faith is seen in a yielded, submitted life to doing the will of Jesus. It's not about believing the right stuff. A matter of fact, Jesus makes this clear later where he says, many will come and say, Jesus, Lord, Lord. You got that right. But you're not accepting me into your heaven. I, I'm, 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 I'm amazed at this. I did miracles in your name. I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. But Jesus says this, Be gone, you doers of iniquity. You did not do my will. But I walked in power. I walked in authority. I preached your gospel effectively. I stirred people's lives. I brought deliverance from demons. I, I was there when you preached. I was moved when you, when you told us to, to, to do certain things. I did it, but yet you never came into true saving faith. Well, how do you know? Because you didn't do my will. You basically said, here's a thing. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. I believe in God. I go to church on occasion. I, you know, I, I got all the right box checked. I, I must be saved. But in reality, 
it will be visible. Faith without works is dead. Like the body without the spirit is dead. Faith is visible in a continually submitted life. Are you submitted walking in the will of God daily? Does it show up in how you talk? Does it show up in your finances? The tithes of the Lord, the Bible says, above that of an offering. Does it show up on how you treat your wife as Christ loves the church? Does it show up as you treat the husband to submit to him? even as you would Christ to your own husbands? Does it, does it show up and at work? I mean, I could keep talking here, but you get the idea. And, and, and if you're here going, yes, my Christianity pretty much stays at church outside of a few little things here and there to try to convince myself I'm really walking in a submitted life to God, then I, I, I would say to you, there, there needs to be an examination of yourself to see if you be in Christ and to truly have a fear of God, a reverence, an awe that, that says, God, I don't want to fear man who has power over my body. I want to fear you who have the keys over heaven and hell. Lord, I, I want to give my life and surrender. Lord, help me. <laughs> I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I, I, I realize that I am honed in here to comparing myself amongst myself and looking at the average Christians around the nation and uh, here in America, and, and I'm like, yep, I'm right in tune with them. Remember, in the last days, it's going to be signified by an apostasia, a great falling away of the church. When their faith is going to cost them, they don't continue in. They, they go to a different version of Christianity that doesn't cost them. A state-ran Christianity or a politically correct view of Christianity. But I simply say the apostasia revealed that people had not truly received the love of the truth and said, God, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, I hear your word, deny myself, take up the cross, and follow you in a surrendered, yielded, obedient life in every area of my life, right? Spirit, soul, and body submitted to him, given our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice. Well, moving on here in verse 8. He said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. I, I debated whether to do that or not. <laughs> so I didn't want to freak too many people out, and plus I'm on the radio and stuff, and it's like somebody's driving, and ah, crashes, you know. Anyway, um, and he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down into the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see him. 
and what had happened. So let me get this first part out of the way. This is the first mention of suicide in the Bible. This is also the first mentioned of deviled ham. This is also the first mention of the Bay of Pigs. I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. There, you know, most of you guys are going, ah, I've heard that. It's like, but then there's those people that, you know, we, we can't deprive them of this, right? If they've never heard it. Anyway. <laughs> So a legion was 6,000 soldiers. So were there really 6,000 demons? I doubt it. Demons lie. I mean, that's just one thing they do. But I, I no doubt there was a lot of them. We know there were 2,000 pigs, so there had to be at least 2,000 demons. Um, how many were there? We don't know. Why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? I think, first of all, he demonstrated that these demons were real. And deliverance was genuine. They really came out of him, and they really went in to something. Secondly, he gave a vivid proof that Satan is a destroyer. Guys, he's out to seek, to, to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he's about. That's what demons are about, not to entertain and to give you power so you can, you know, turn things into frogs or whatever. To Satan, I think the third thing is, to Satan, to demons, pigs, are as good as a man. They, they have no degree of respect of God's creation in his image. Hey, can't be in a man, just put me in a pig, just as good. Fourthly, I think, if you surrender your life to Satan and sin, you will end up living and dying like an animal. Boy, we see that. I think also some people might say, well, didn't Jesus destroy somebody's property? <laughs> you know, it wasn't legal in the country. This was something that the Jews had outlawed having pigs. They're an unclean animal. They were breaking the law. But I want to speculate that these people being tormented, these people in such darkness, their hearts were convicting them about the whole lifestyle they had chosen and said, God, help us. You know, we can't get rid of the pigs. What are we going to do for a living? We have so much invested in the pigs, it'd be hard to sell them and get rid of them. I, I think of it sort of like the, the, the drug dealer who's got a garage full of drugs and gets convicted about what he's doing. And, and he's like, but I got $3 million of drugs in there. I, I, I got to sell them off or get rid of them. For, help me, God. I don't know what to do. And then his garage burned down. And he's like, oh, that really hurt. But thanks, Lord. I, I, I wonder. But I think the sixth thing was to reveal that although the town itself was not demon-possessed, they themselves were in great darkness. Because look at their response in verse 15 through 17. They came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Not blessed, full of joy. Hey, there's our friend back. No, 
Those who saw it told him how it happened to him and and had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with him to what? Depart from their region. That's just completely unnatural. It's just human nature to want more of a good thing, not less. A person who's got power and are are willing to bring that power to bless you, you don't want them to depart. You want to talk them into staying around like all the other stories of the Bible. Stay here at our city as long as you can. And Jesus would depart and go to a different city. They're like, bummer. Uh, We wanted that Jesus guy to be around here longer. But it reveals their heart, doesn't it? They, They were devastated over their swine more than over this man. Money was very important to them. And the healing of this man um, was a bummer because it cost them their industry. Or maybe they were just shamed. Let, Let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you something here. No matter how deep somebody is into sin or struggle, are just the bad choices. It's never our job to bring shame. Jesus doesn't shame us. You look through all the stories of the Bible. They came trying to shame the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus gives her no shame. The woman at the well in Samaria had been married five times before and she gave up on marriage just living with a guy. She felt no shame. I could keep just going through the list. Jesus saw a person in a serious loss condition. And what did he have? Compassion and love. He didn't shame him. He didn't lecture him. He didn't try to make him feel condemned for what got him to that place. He just wanted to see salvation. And these people were ashamed. They were embarrassed. Maybe it was just their knee-jerk reaction of shame and feeling ashamed in this man's presence, in Jesus' presence, that they just like, I'm so ashamed. I can't even look at you right now, God. I can't even talk to you right now, God. Well, verse 18, when he got into the boat, he who had demon possessed begged him that he might go with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Let's not forget that Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' closest followers, the Bible tells us before she became a follower of Jesus, she was somebody that had seven demons in her and had been delivered. And she followed Jesus and became one of his closest supporters and followers. And so this man, I mean, what a powerful testimony. (laughs) Hi, what brings you to church today? Well, I used to have a whole legion of demons in me. It's like, oh, I'm going to be right back. Go sit on the other side of the church. Oh, this is scary. Um, didn't, didn't expect that. You know, hey, 
Dad, I met this nice guy at church. Um, I think we're going to start dating. Well, tell me about yourself. Um, well, see these scars? I used to cut myself with rocks when I was demon-possessed. Yeah, it, it, it'd be, it would be amazing. I mean, he would be a famous man. And to see the incredible peace in his life. Guys, don't underestimate the power of your testimony. In Revelations 12, it tells us this is what overcomes Satan, is the word of our testimony. You want to do the most for me? Stay here and just tell people about darkness, about light, about the demon world, about God's world, about salvation. Stay right here and just tell them what you know. But, but, but I, I don't know really anything. It's enough. Your testimony, as much as you know about it, as little as you have to share it, well, it just takes two minutes. Well, it's okay. It's going to overcome the evil one. Interesting here, in this chapter, we see three prayers. One prayer from the demons, <laughs> begging Jesus to not torment them, to send them into the pigs. Jesus answered that prayer. The people of the town said, Jesus, go away. And Jesus did that. But then there's the third prayer. This one who says, Jesus, I always want to be with you, next to you. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no. Now, if you would have guessed which one of those three prayers Jesus would have answered ahead of time, I, I would have told you that guy who wants to press in on Jesus and be one of Jesus' followers. How could Jesus say no? But he did. And this is where we've got to understand, guys, that Jesus saying no is just as wonderful as an answer to prayer as Jesus saying yes. When Jesus says no, it's not that he doesn't love us or he doesn't want to do anything for you. It's simply he has a better way. Your brain, your life experience came up with a prayer to pray and, and the Bible tells us when we pray according to his will, he then answers it. I mean, think of you parents. How many times did you say no versus yes? I mean, we're talking, you know, we'd have to use 10 to the 20th power no's compared to the yeses. I, I mean, just kids can come up with all kinds of ideas. And it's not that they're bad or wrong. They should be punished or how dare you asking. It's just simply no, no, you can't have ice cream 10.30 at night. But dad's eating it. That's your, that's your father. He's also overweight. But <laughs> we're not going to go there. You can't have any because I love you and I love him, but he doesn't listen to me. Um, no. And, and, and we see that God and his infinite wisdom it was amazing. He knew that this guy could do far more for the kingdom staying. He, he knew that this entire region knew about him, and he would have a powerful testimony. And in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus comes back to this area of Decapolis, the whole multitude knows about Jesus and come running to Jesus and are completely ready, prepared for Jesus. The knee-jerk reaction of wanting to stay away from him is no longer there. They now 
have gotten past their embarrassment, their shame, wrestled through the economy change, whatever it was, and now they welcomed him, no doubt, from the power of this man's testimony. Well, ending here today, I, I do want us to just take note that Satan is evil. The demonic world is real, and it's evil. And I'd say some of you say, well, I, I've never seen anybody demon-possessed or whatever. I believe I have. But then they grew out of their teenage years. That was a different story. <laughs> but that's another story. But no, I've seen demon-possessed people. Um, but um, I think we're oppressed by the enemy. I mean, many of you have probably had those times where it seems like for no reason you just have this sense of doom and depression. You feel worthless about yourself. You have no ability to have hope. And everything, every thought you try to have of positive future is just squashed and may even become suicidal in your thinking. I've experienced such things. I, I know missionaries. I've had missionaries call and just be going through this thing. And it's like, what happened up to that? Nothing. It's just, I've just been stuck. I can't get out of bed. I've been here for days. Or I, I'm just having a hard time being motivated to even have a conversation. There, there's a real demonic world. And Satan maybe not have a, a ability to possesses, but he can definitely oppress us. For us believers, greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. There is no ability for Satan to, to mess with us. But I do want to come back to this point that I met earlier about true saving faith. You may be here to say, I know God like the demons. I worship him. I fear him. I pray to him. I'm, I have doctrinally correct ideas about God. I believe in eternal judgment. I recognize his authority. All of this the demons did. What did they not have? A truly submitted life to him. Again, in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? 1 John 2, verse 3 through 6, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. 
He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he, Jesus, walked. 1 John 2, 17. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen? One more. 1 John 2, 28 and 29. Now, little children... Abide in him, that when he appears, he may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his company, at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Don't think you're checkmating God into some game where I believe all the right stuff and I say all the right stuff and I sing all the right stuff and, 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 and you know, I show up. And I read the Bible on occasion, and I, you know, the, guys, all of those things, yes, you do, because every part of your life is submitted to God. All of your life is thirsting and hungering for righteousness, and you shall be filled. And I just want to say one more word here right now. You may say, man, there's no hope for me. I have been such to a dark place. I have been so deep into sin. Uh, I, I have done the worst of the worst of the worst. That's what this story is about here, guys. There, I don't think you can go to any darker place than this man was with thousands of demons living in him. There was no ability for any hope whatsoever for this man. But Jesus, right? Jesus brought salvation, deliverance, healing, hope, a ministry. Uh, literally, once again, <laughs> from changing the whole society as a demon-possessed man to now changing the whole society to be perceptive to Jesus, to receive the word of Jesus. But I've been so dark, and I do. I affect everybody so negatively. Your life submitted to Christ, you'll have that same influence and even more for the kingdom of God. So this is a time for all of us to have faith, a true saving faith in a submission to Christ. And let's do that right now. Lord, we come before you right now. Lord, right now, we, we, it's real. This story has made Christianity real. We can't play the game of social Christianity. We can't play the game of Americanism Christianity. We're not a Muslim or we're not a Jew or we're not a Hindu. I'm a Christian as if that's going to pacify anything. You have told us that in the last days, which we are definitely in, there's going to be a large group of people when they feel the pressure of, of Christianity being negative for them, if they proclaim it and stand in it, that, that they're going to depart. There's going to be a great falling away. Lord, you made it clear that there is going to be a lot of people, not a couple, but many who will say, Lord, Lord. And they have amazing ministries of what they've done in your name. But when it came down to it, they were not walking in a submitted life 
of obedience and righteousness and hungering, just not to try to be righteous, not to try to get heaven, but just out of their love for you. They, they find this beautifully yielded life to your heart's desire. So Lord, we just ask today, if there's any here, give hope to all. You brought this word today, not to condemn us, but to heal us. For every one of us to deliver us, whether it's from our own social gospel that's damning us, keeping us at a very low level of, of obedience to you, or whether it's have lost hope because we're in such a dark place that we think that not even you, Jesus, can deliver us. Right now, just come. This, this message is for every single person in this room. Whoever will come, let them come. And for every one of us just to say, Lord, Lord, I don't want to just say that. You are Lord. I yield to you. And my thoughts, and my words, in my life, in my relationships, in my finances, at work, and in the home, as I drive, as I walk, as I shop, Lord, I want my life to be walking even as you, Jesus, would walk. And I hunger and thirst to be filled with that righteousness. And nothing else will satisfy but to be the light and the salt that you were, Jesus, and that you are through your disciples today. Forgive me for, for accepting a, a powerless, empty form of godliness without any real reality of power and, and fruitfulness. Lord, forgive me for thinking you can't reach to the depths of my wickedness, my carnalness, my sinness. I, I know that you, Lord, have a greater power to, to save us from all wickedness, sin, depravity, rebellion, dishonesty, immorality, whatever it is, that your grace is deeper, your power is deeper. We receive it by faith today. Forgive us, cleanse us, wash us. In Jesus' precious name.